In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet Following the truth wherever it leads Exposing evil and corruption And the secret machinations of powerful elites Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality Coming to you from the Great White North And his studio beneath the stairs Here's Richard You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several tiers to choose from. Pick which one is right for you, but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated. As a sign of my appreciation, you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show, or you could have your name included in a crawl on my YouTube channel live stream. You could also receive episodes of my old podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. This critically acclaimed podcast, produced in partnership with Chris Jericho, is not currently available anywhere 
anywhere else. If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Family therapist and expert on the phenomenon of near-death experiences and shared death experiences is here. And uh, an SDE, if you're not familiar, is where one feels that one has participated in a dying person's transition to a post-mortem existence. Uh, William Peters founded the Shared Crossing Project to raise awareness about the profound and healing experiences that are possible for the dying and their loved ones at the end of life. He's a marriage and family therapist at the Family Therapy Institute of Santa Barbara. He holds a master's of education with a focus in group dynamics from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And William directs the Shared Crossing Research Initiative, the first research-based program designed to examine the causes and uh, strategies for enabling the shared death experience. William served as a hospice volunteer with the Zen Hospice Project at Laguna Honda Hospital in San Francisco. He has had two near-death experiences and a variety of SDEs that inform his work. He also leads the Shared Crossing Pathway Program, Life Beyond Death Groups, and the new Shared Crossing Concept Group for end-of-life professionals. He's a, as a um, psychotherapist, he specializes in end-of-life and bereavement counseling and past-life regression therapy. He's the author of At Heaven's Door. William, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Richard. Really uh, wonderful to be with you this evening. Likewise, likewise. Uh, let's begin at the beginning. Uh, your uh, your first shared death experience when you were working as a volunteer in, in a hospice. Yeah, so yeah, here I am, you know, just doing my hospice volunteer work. Uh, as you noted, at uh, Laguna Honda Hospital in San Francisco. This is a large public hospital, old, old uh, structure. So you can imagine 24-bed open ward hospice. So just think curtains, no separate bed, no separate wall, no walls separating the rooms, anything like that. And the reason I share that is because uh, you have you know, this is also a, a hospice that's treating indigent people. So the turnover is really high. So you can imagine people that are homeless, people that are really on the edge, people that go into a hospital but don't have any insurance, and as they're getting close to death, the hospital ship them over to the hospice. So there's a high turnover of, of, of patients in the hospice ward, which basically means patients are coming in, staying, you know, a few days in most cases and dying. And what that means for those of us as volunteers, certainly this is now going back a couple decades. I don't know how it is now in this hospice ward, but in those days, um, we would, you know, we would have people dying pretty much, you know, on a regular basis during our shifts. And so for me on this particular afternoon, I'd actually been working with, uh, we'll call him Ron, not just a pseudonym, you know, Ron had been unresponsive for, you know, a number of days. And in Ron's case, he'd been in on hospice, in this hospice for about uh, certainly three weeks or so. 
So I had really actually developed um, a relationship with him as, as best you can. Like I said, he was unresponsive for the last part of this. And, and when I say unresponsive, that means he, he is not responding to any, you know, conversational cues. Uh, basically, he looks like he's sleeping all the time. But as we know in hospice work, the last sense, the last sense to um, go away or to die, essentially, is hearing. So we have, a, as hospice workers, our practice is to always announce what we're doing, even though it looks like our patients are sleeping. So we'll say, you know, hey, you know, Ron, I'm here. I uh, want to know that I'm going to sit down and uh, read a book for you, and we're going to go back and read Call of the Wild by Jack London. We stopped, you know, at you know, chapter three last time. I'm going to pick it up there. So here I am. This is the routine. So I'm reading Call of the Wild, as I had done many afternoons with Ron. And in the middle of this reading, I just pop out of my body. Here I am. I, as I'm now above my body, suspended above my body. Not that far. I can see the crown of my head. I can actually see the book. I can't quite see the words in the book, but I can certainly see the lines uh, in in the book, if you will. And I can see Ron, you know, from now above, uh, no difference, unresponsive, prone in his bed. But to my right is Ron. Ron, I can see his face. I can see his eyes glowing with aliveness and vitality, which is a, in stark contrast to his unresponsive body down below in the bed. And he's got a big smile on his face. And he's energetic. And he is communicating with me, saying, you know, check this out. This is where I have been. And I'm just taking this in going, whoa. Now, I'd had uh, a couple near-death experiences previous to this, and I did have a, um, a shared death experience, but not to this magnitude or not with this much clarity uh, and crispness uh, previous. In this case, how is he, I was excuse me, right uh, William, how is, he, how is he communicating with you? Oh, yeah, so it was all telepathic. I mean, it was like, it wasn't like he was moving his, his voice, I mean, excuse me, moving his mm -hmm. mouth. Um, but it was just, he was communicating clearly to me um, in the sense that I knew that he knew I was there. He was uh, kind of happy that I was there. And it, I got the sense he was showing me that this is where he was. Now, I will say there are some types of communication I've had in this space that are a lot uh, clearer in terms of um, like why, you know, questions or responses or direct messages. In this case, it was just clear that he knew I was there, and I, I seemed to, I think more on the level, level of intuiting, but quite strongly, that he was happy that I was to show me this. Um, but it wasn't like a direct messaging. And that, and I will say, in most of the shared death experiences that I have uh, had myself and our research, there's a clear sense of communication where the experiencer will say, I just knew. I mean, I knew as clear as I'm talking to you now. So this was a little less like that, and I can't really say why. It just was. And did, did William look like, was it the, the same sort of you know, indigent, sickly uh, Ron that you were seeing uh, that was lying in the bed, or was this a, a more youthful, uh, healthy-looking Ron? That's a great question, and this is something we see in our research almost all the time when the shared death experiencers report 
seeing the deceased, well, seeing the dying or any other deceased in the afterlife, they tend, and I'll say it was Ron, which is consistent with the research, Ron looked uh, vital, healthy, alive. Um, he looked a little bit younger, but not like super youthful. And some of the research we see is that the, especially when you see the deceased loved ones who greet the dying uh, as the dying, you know, transition into the afterlife, the, the deceased loved ones typically, typically look a lot younger, a lot healthier. They almost look like they're in the prime of their life. Uh, in this case with Ron, he looked healthier for sure. Like I said, his eyes were bright and light shining through. But he didn't look like, you know, if I, you know, Ron was probably in his 70s. He might have looked like he was a, a healthy, vital man in his 60s. But in most cases, when the research, you know, now we have over 250 deeply analyzed cases, what we see is somebody who died, whether 70, 80, 90, whatever, uh, they'll, they may show up um, in their 20s, in their 30s, like usually at their prime and sporting an outfit that was probably an activity or uh, presentation that they're most proud of. And, and when this shared experience, shared, shared death experience happened, did that happen at the moment that his spirit or soul left his body? So this is a, another great question here. So um, in this case, Ron died a day or two later. And, and we have found in our research that 23% of shared death experiences happen hours or days either before or after the medically defined time of death. Of course, medically defined time of death would be cessation of brain activity uh, and or uh, heart, heartbeat stopping. So uh, in this case, like I said, I think a day or two, this SDE happened a day or two before Ron died. Um, and I'll be really clear and say that happens in 9% of our cases. We have early SDEs, and then 13% happen after, you know, the, a death a day, um, hours or days later. Uh, so but we, the way we know this is an SDE rather than, say, a pre-death dream or vision or post-death dream, dream or vision is because of the pattern. And the pattern we look for in the SDE is this, that there's some sense of a journey there's also these NDE qualities, like near-death experience qualities, um, and the other piece we see, which you, is that strong bond between the uh, experiencer and the, you know, the, the participant, the person dying. Now, in this case with Ron, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. You know, you didn't have that strong of a bond. Well, as it turns out, I actually did have a really strong bond with, with uh, Ron because he had no loved ones. He was indigent, and I had been with him a few days, uh, more than a few days, actually, up for a week and a half. And, and there was a bond. Even before he um, became uh, unconscious, if you will, I had already had a relationship with him, joking, talking about his life. So I might have been, at the end of his life, one of his closest relations. Um, and the other thing, the journey motif is not as active in Ron's case as we see in other cases. But with Ron, which is so interesting, is that this is the very beginning of his journey. Because he was communicating to me, this is where I have been. 
This is where I've been hanging out. But I also got a sense in what he was saying to me was, this is where I'm going, and this is I'm kind of titrating back and forth between being in that physical body and being here. So he's talking about the initial stages of journey. Uh, not as pronounced as you see in most SDEs, but certainly enough to be radically different than a dream visitation, uh, excuse me, than a vision or visitation pre or post death, because in those there's a completely different agenda. So when you're looking at Ron and you're both, you're, you're hovering above your body, he's hovering above his body. Did you get a glimpse in and around Ron? I mean, where was he? Where were you? I mean, I know you were above your body, but where, where did you go? Yeah. So this is what we call a co-experienced out-of-body experience. So we call it a co-OBE, two persons sharing an out-of-body experience together. I was clearly in a parallel universe in the sense that here I am with Ron, and I, and I have this ability, as I explained before, to see my body and his body down below. I even see myself reading down below. Like, I don't, best I can tell, I couldn't see my mouth moving, but best I could tell, I was, I did not stop reading there. Uh, so, parallel universe happening, you know, concurrently, and I just think, you know, I just think I just ha- I'm just in that same um, space, if you will. The the it's a large room, but I'm up elevated, so I'm up near the ceiling, and I'm with Ron. But I'll tell you, as I'm looking at Ron, Ron has kind of darkness around him. It's not. I mean, I'm not seeing him like he's in that space, if you will. Like I'm not seeing the ceiling. I'm not. If I was looking through him, I'm not seeing other hospital. Um, other, you know, none of the other physical features of that hospital. I'm just seeing darkness behind him. So as I'm looking at him, he's in a different realm. But I seem to be kind of above my body in this realm, but I can also see the human realm as well. So great question. I don't, I, that's just the best I can make of it. It's almost like, I'm straddling, I'm in this other realm, but I'm kind of like, it seems like Ron is more into it because he doesn't have any of the physical trappings of the hospital. When you're having that shared death experience, uh, either you or in any of the other, as you mentioned, 250 in-depth analyzed cases, do you as a participant feel the the same pull to go wherever he's going, like, I don't want to go back to my body. I want to go with this person. Yeah, that's great. You know, you're tapping into something there, Richard, that, as you know from the near-death experience literature, most near-death experiencers, when they're in that space, uh, in the NDE space, don't want to return. In this case, with Ron, I'm I'm enjoying myself up there, but I'm actually just with him, and I don't have any preference. I don't seem to have any choice in sense like it's not like I, it's not like I'm saying I want to stay here or I, or I want to go, don't want to go back to my body or I do want to go back to my body. It's just kind of like I was there, and then that space just ended. That, that experience just ended. 
It wasn't a particularly long time, I will say that. Some SDEs are very long. Uh, at least, you know, time-space continuum is, is hard to, it's not the same. But, and the 250-plus cases, most SDEers do not express a desire to stay there. Uh, nor do they express a strong desire to go back to their life, uh, human life. It's as if they're along for this journey, they're in it fully, they're observing it, and then all of a sudden they realize either they're back in their physical body or they come to a boundary. Uh, typically, you know, there are many ways to see a boundary or um, border uh, to which they respond with, oh, my gosh, I can't go any further, and then they realize they're back in their body. The minute they realize there's a boundary, they're pretty much back in their body. So there are some significant differences between the SDE experience and the NDE experience in that regard. So, yeah, I think I, I hope I answered that well enough, Richard. Did I yes, get to your absolutely, point Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so I get the sense it's not, it's not as profound an experience for someone as an, an NDE. Well, I would, so I, would be, I, that, I would say that's not the correct language because I think it's as profound. I think it's a, it's, it's a very similar phenomena in terms of a, a very similar experience in terms of phenomenological features. Like there are, uh, you see the out-of-body experience. Uh, you can go into heavenly realms. You can have a life review yourself. You can have a life review. You can share in the dying person's life review. You can have a review of your time together with the dying and yourself. You kind of shared life review. You can see the boundary. You can see deceased loved ones, a welcoming party. You can see elevated beings. Uh, all of this, angels is often referred to in this realm. It's very similar phenomenologically to the NDE. The difference is, I think there's some, um, uh, in the NDE, there's always that question of, will I return to this life or will I not? That's a difference in the NDE. Uh, you know in the literature, I'm, I know in the literature, and I, Rich, I know you're up on this, is that some NDEers don't want to come back to their human lives. Right. Very few actually express uh, a desire to go back to their human lives, even if they have families and such. Some do, but very few. And so, but there is that kind of negotiation with um, the forces that be over there. Usually it's defined as the light, because in 75% of NDEs, there's a dominant, numinous light that they're kind of, that they're kind of realizing is in charge of this, maybe a, a, the source or God or whatever your spiritual tradition might um, ascribe to that force being. But it is in charge, and they're negotiating with that light. In the SDE, there's really no sense of negotiation because there's no sense in the SDE experiencer that, they're, that they have a choice here. Like, they don't feel like they're dying. In an NDE, there's a sense that, you know, that they know that they're out of their body, they've left their body, they, their life has been threatened in some way. And in the SDE, that's not it. The SDE has a very observational view. You're a spectator for a profound experience that can be every bit as profound as an NDE. It's just not uh, on the table, this question of, 
will you return to your body or will you not? Will you essentially die and go into the afterlife or not? That doesn't seem to, to arise for SDE experiencers. We don't have that. There is a fear sometimes initially when they feel a pull on their body saying, I don't want to die. But once they get through that pull and they realize what they've been asked or what they've been made privy to, which is sharing in the journey of typically of a loved one who's dying or transitioning, once they realize that's the frame, the question about their um, terminalness, if you will, uh, and not returning to their human life is off the table. Founder of the uh, Shared Crossing Project, and tell us about the um, this online uh, program that's happening Wednesday, starting April 27th, William. Oh, yeah. So we have a course. Um, you know, we're moved all of our programs online during COVID. And actually, it took us a while to actually move our programs into this format because we traditionally, our programs, just to go back a step, our programs are really to raise awareness and educate people about not just shared death experiences, but the whole host of other end-of-life experiences. And the reason we want to do that is because we find when people know about these experiences, it does a few things. One is it really allows them to be more curious, receptive, and at peace about uh, this process of death and dying. So we call these courses, we have a variety of courses. The one that we have coming up right now is, um, is I think it's called Waking Up to the SDE and, and the Power of Love and Life. And that course uh, really is, well, it is the first course actually ever taught, either you know in real time or online or in person, what have you, that's dedicated to you know 10.5 hours of exploration and definition around the shared death experience and we'll talk about the patterns the typologies these are things these are uh, understandings that I've developed now over you know a couple decades of really studying these experiences and really give people a, a map of how these experiences work and how you can make them happen and some key features that are just so wonderful to know about. This feature, one is this, this notion of a conductor, which is I am increasingly um, feeling like there is a force that is in charge of managing the transition of souls or spirits or consciousnesses within the human body from that human existence into the afterlife. And sometimes you see that conductor represented in a form of an angel or a spirit guide or an elevated being of some type. And sometimes you just feel and sense it. Uh, but like I'm saying, the, this course online, uh, which starts the end of, I think it's the last Thursday in April, will meet seven times for 90 minutes. It's, you know, I will show lots of videos of first-hand accounts from our research of people talking about their experiences. I'll analyze them, break them down, tell you what's so important about them, and then eventually, you know, teach people, you know, what are the means to, to have these experiences. Um, and we've done a good deal of research on that, although I will say, um, as much as we're learning about the SDE first, you know, my institute, the Shared Crossing Research Initiative, is the first institute ever to dedicate itself to studying the shared death experience. So this is very, very nascent research. It's groundbreaking. It's been featured in the American Journal of Hospice and Palliative Medicine, which is one of the most respected uh, hospice and palliative care journals, you know, in existence. So it's 
people know these experiences are out there. Experts are know they're out there. It's just that we're the first um, organization to really, really uh, break it down, categorize it, give people a, a map for how to deal with it. So another thing about this course, which is great, is you'll get an opportunity to do a lot of uh, experiential exercises, group dynamics, think group exercises where you'll meet other people who are interested in not just uh, the shared death experience, but also becoming conscious uh, about what is possible and how you can craft the best end of life experience for you and your loved ones. Oh, I can so, say one thing. Richard, I yeah. would um, like to extend to all of your listeners. Um, a 10% discount off of this. So if you go there, just, if you're interested, you can see the course, and just um, type in all caps, SHARED CROSSING 10. SHARED CROSSING 10. Um, so, yeah, uh, I've, as Richard and we've talked before, I, I think I really love your shows. I love the sophistication um, and thoughtfulness you bring to your interview. So to me, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'd like to extend that to your audience because I assume they'll be great people for our community, and I want to encourage them uh, to consider that. Well, I appreciate that, and I, I know my listeners do as well. And uh, share, uh, sharedcrossing.com is the website, sharedcrossing.com. And again, that yeah. course, it's uh, Wednesdays, 5 to 6.30 p.m. That's Pacific uh, Coast time. April twenty seventh to Thursday, June eighth. Right. It's Wednesdays. Yeah. Yes, Wednesdays. So getting back to Ron, the the patient that we were talking about mm-hmm. uh, at the Laguna Honda Hospice in San Francisco, and after your shared death experience, he died the next day. Were you with him at the moment of death? I was not. I was not. I was aware that he died because I got notification that he had died, uh, but I was not with him. And when you're at a distance from a dying patient, uh, I mean, does does the does the intensity or the nature of the experience, the shared death experience, change depending on your proximity? Yeah. So this is a, this is a major breakthrough in our research, and that is that previous uh, research was really more based on uh, people sending in first-hand accounts to, you know, different different researchers studying end-of-life phenomena more generally. You know, so there's, you know, DOPS, Department of Perceptual Studies, uh, University of Virginia, great group of researchers, Bruce Grayson and others there. Um, and then Raymond Moody as well. They received a lot. Raymond, in particular, wrote the first book on the SDE. In fact, he popularized the term shared death experience with his 2010 book, Glimpses of Eternity. And, but all of these accounts previously had been at the bedside. And there was no real appreciation for these remote SDEs. And when we say remote SDE, what we mean is that the experiencer is not in the room. Like, they could be down the hall, they could be in the kitchen, they could be somewhere else in the house, they could be, you know, across town, or they can be across the globe somewhere. What we found is that there is very little difference between a remote SDE and a bedside SDE. And, and something else is 64% of our accounts ended up being remote, and we were stunned by that. 
But what we found is the more we started talking and I started lecturing about remote SDEs, all of a sudden people started realizing, wait a minute, when my loved one died, I had a similar experience, but it wasn't until I heard you lecture on it that I actually remembered the depth of it. And usually the remote SDEs will happen, you know, in some proximity to the, similar to I just said before, remote, obviously a bedside SDE or a remote SDE, you might think at a bedside you'd have the SDE at the same time. Not necessarily. There's a lot of people that are at bedside and then uh, before, just moments before or after or hours before and after, same time you know, relationship. In other words, 9% can happen hours or days be- hours or days before, and 13% can happen hours or days uh, after the actual medically determined time of death. So, no difference between remotes and a bedside. No significant uh, differences. Obviously, some things in the at the bedside. For example, at the bedside, you may actually see what we call spirit leaving body. You may actually see the spirit, consciousness, soul, whatever you want to call it, departing from the body. It often leaves from uh, the chest area, the heart area, third eye, crown. It, you know, leaves heading upwards. It looks like a kind of a ghostly, translucent uh, membrane, sometimes shaped like uh, the body, the human body, sometimes not. Uh, and then it tends to go up to the roof, or excuse me, to the ceiling. It pauses there, moves around. Sometimes there's some communication between this now. I'm going to call it a, um, a spirit being that's no longer incarnated. A lot of times in our research, the experiencer, especially the loved one, will talk about a final communication with that spirit who has just left the body. And it's usually a thank you, I love you, goodbye type conversation. And then it goes. Now, so the reason I went into that was because that's not an experience that you're going to have remotely. That's not an SDE feature that you're going to experience unless you're at bedside. But okay, we'll pick up on that point. Excuse me, William. On the other side, we'll take a uh, another quick timeout. William Peters, founder of the Shared Crossing Project, sharedcrossing.com, the website. Back with more of our conversation right after these. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. 
It's time to try the tea that everyone's talking about. Nothing does what Life Change Tea does. They have no competition. Life Change Tea helps support a healthy body. It tastes great and leaves you feeling refreshed every day. I can't get enough of the pomegranate super tea. I brew two gallons at a time and let it steep in the fridge overnight, enough to last me an entire week. Every morning I enjoy a 16-ounce glass of this amazing non-GMO, non-caffeinated herbal tea. It keeps me regular by providing a gentle cleanse every day. I'm never gassy or bloated. Good health begins with a healthy gut. This pomegranate super tea is not available in any store. You need to go to getthetea.com slash Richard. Getthetea.com slash Richard. And you'll receive a one-month supply of the pomegranate super tea for just $27. That's a savings of $8. Go to getthetea.com slash Richard. Getthetea.com slash Richard. It's time to get your tea from getthetea.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. William Peters is a pioneer in the field of shared death experiences, founder of the Shared Crossing Project and the author of At Heaven's Door. And um, I wanted to ask you about whether more than one person can have a shared death experience with the dying individual at the same time. Uh, so if, let's say, there's a, um, a person and, and there are maybe a half a dozen children uh, that, that have that special bond with that, with that individual, could they all have that shared death experience at the same time? Has that been documented? Yes, it is possible for, you gave an example of a half a dozen children, if, you know, they could all have it, even if they were not all at bedside or they were all remote. It wouldn't make a difference. We have seen some cases like that, not a lot. It seems like some people in the, some loved ones, if you will, will have the experience and others will not. And this is actually can be uh, a cause for um, some stress or, or dissonance, if you will. Um, but... In the research, we find that about 11% of all SDE cases are multi-person, more than one. And we have seen that at the bedside, for example, if, you know, thinking of a case here that's pretty typical, you have uh, a, a grandmother dying. I say grandmother because there's a grandson there and then actually the daughter of the mother, so you've got three generations, grandmother, mother, and grandson uh, present. And the, the mother reports seeing light coming into the room and a cylinder of light, and then her mother traveling up that light and looking back and saying, essentially, thank you, I love you, uh, I need to be going. And the son, excuse me, the grandson reports seeing the light um, and then reports seeing his grandfather, but doesn't report seeing the grandmother. Reports, who's dying, of course, reports sensing the grandmother, and, but not really seeing. The, 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 what he's really seeing is part of the greeting party, which is his deceased uh, grandfather, obviously the husband uh, of the grandmother who's dying currently. And these are mysteries. I mean, these are like, wow, why is it like that? 
And yet, I, you know, in our research, we see that the shared death experiencers, when there's multi-person experiences, have some similar phenomena, but some different, experience different phenomena or features. And we don't know why that is. I mean, there's some question as to whether people have different, for lack of a better term, psychic gifts, you know, intuitive gifts, whatever you want to call them. But it's still, uh, that would be really, I would not assert that as truth more as a question that as I've done more and more research, I think there's something else going on uh, mm-hmm. rather than just psychic gifts being exercised. Right. You mentioned that that could cause some rifts perhaps in a family. Like, you know, why did great, why did granddad come to you and not to me? And why didn't I get to participate in the shared death experience? Didn't he love yeah. me as much? Uh, how, how does, how does that, how do you resolve that? What do you tell people or or, well, or how do you help people who have that that I don't know yeah, regret or tension yeah. that they weren't they weren't part of it? You know, I mean, I it's a you know, I'm a family therapist, so when I um, see this arise, the what I do typically is I bring the family together as soon as I can. Um, and to to sit down and say, um, all right, let's talk about it, all of our experiences. And to cut to the chase on this, what we typically find is that, first of all, it seems pretty clear that the dying doesn't seem to have the capacity to visit everybody. Now, there are some cases where we see that the deceased, uh, that the dying, the transitioning, visits dozens of people, and even, you know, uh, has all, offers all, you know, synchronistic events, if you will, things like, um, you know, maybe, uh, I'm trying to think of a good one, like everybody sees uh, the, something in the room change, like uh, the, the clock radio freezes at the time of her birth date or an anniversary date, and everybody sees that. Um, but... And so in those situations, you know, it's, it's obviously not an issue. Everyone sees it. But um, the reason I was sharing that is because it's, in some cases, um, the dying can, can make multiple visits to people and, and does. But that's more the rarity. What seems to be happening is that a few, a person or two or three in a family will have an experience, a shared death experience. And then you circle the people up and say, you know, let's talk about this. So the first thing I do is I normalize and say, this is really common, more common than not, that some people get the experience and others don't. So it seems to me I can explain, I don't know why this is, but this happens. And it's not like these people are, are it seems to me that the dying have limited capacity to get to everybody. Like they just can't do it. Um, and I don't know why that is, but that just seems to be the case. But when you have the conversations with the family, typically what happens is the family works it out, talks about what their, what, you know, what their issues are, their upsets are, because someone might feel like, you know, I'm thinking of a story, this is really classic, uh, a, a, a man I had trained with his mother who was dying of ovarian cancer. I trained them in the shared death experience protocols, which are these protocols to enable the SDE. Well, at the time of death, the son, um, call him Frank, 
Frank is in the kitchen making funeral plans, and but Frank has been with his mother preparing for her death, you know, taking care of her for the last year plus. Well, his sister had just come down from Oregon, and she had she had two kids that she left in Oregon and was not, had not seen her mother uh, in like a year. So she's there. She's been there a week. She's leaving the next day. The mother goes goes into an active dying process, and she dies, and gives you know I say gives as if the dying is able to give the SDE. We don't know that, but it certainly feels that way. But in this experience, this person, call her Meg, Meg sees her uncle, her mother's brother, enter into the room. He's a big, big man. He had been in the, in the Navy and says, looks at her and says, I've got it. I've got your mom. She's coming with me. And Meg is like, whoa, this is incredible. Well, in this case, it wasn't just a welcoming party. It was, uh, it was a welcoming party, but it was the conductor, this, this force that seems to enter into the SDE or appear in the SDEs. We see this. I mean, we're doing the data on this right now because I've really been fascinated by this feature of the conductor, that force that seems to be facilitating the transition of souls from human existences into the afterlife. And in this case, it was Meg's uncle, her mother's brother. They were very close. And so, so, you know, Meg has this profound experience of seeing her mother being drawn out of her physical body, that spirit, soul, translucent. And she described this as, you know, her mother's spirit that looked like her uh, body, if you will, being pulled out and then going into the arms of her beloved uncle and the uncle you know, ushering her away, pulling her away, holding her, and then rising out through a cylinder of light uh, out of the room. And she gets this sense, as Meg says, oh, my gosh, I mean, my, my mother is dead, not, no longer here, but she's in good hands. It's very comforting. It's mind-blowing, all the euphoric feelings that are, that are common with the SDE uh, she's experiencing. And then she goes and shares it with her brother, Frank, and Frank's like, wow, I, you know, that's great, but I, you know, he's thinking, you know, I trained, you know, with William and Share Crossing Project to have this experience with my mother, and she gets it. So at first, and I spent a, a year, and I spent a year later, caring for. He, why didn't he, she come to me? Why didn't I get to see that? Exactly, very human, very human. Like, why couldn't you just come to me? I was just one room over. So these are all the mysteries. I don't know why she couldn't, but like I said before. Um, it seems to be there's some limitations on the capacity that the dying have to, um, you know, bestow the shared death experience on on loved ones. But in this case, France, uh, Frank, um, Frank, and I worked. At, his sister went home, and she was grateful. And then Frank was really lo- glad his sister had the experience. But he did say to me, like, "Ah, oh, that's really weird." I mean, and then as we worked through it, he realized, well, you know. I had a great end of life with my mom, and Meg didn't. And I'm glad she got that experience because she really needed it more than I did because she felt bad she couldn't be there. So in some way there's some, some sort of, for lack of a better term, divine justice in who gets the experience. It seems like the loved one that may need it the most uh, gets it. 
and and for Frank later on, his his mother actually visited him in a post death vis- visitation, which was spectacular for him. And so he felt like, oh wow, you know, I didn't get the SDE, but a few months later, my mom came to me and showed me where she was, and it just was like great. So, um, and we see that a lot. About forty one percent of our uh, SDE experiencers. Uh, well, that's different. He wasn't an SDE experiencer, but he trained for it. I should say that statistic differently than a lot of people that do our trainings, upwards of 80% will have some phenomena that's profound, either SDE or post-death dream, excuse me, post-death vision or visitation or some profound synchronicity that lets them know that their loved one uh, is alive and well in a, in, a, in a good place. Can you have a shared death experience with somebody who actually, they have an NDE, but they come back? Yes, that is a great question, and my immediate response to that is, yes, it's possible. And I can tell you I've, I've had a couple of those um, in my clinical practice. I've never had those in the research um, to date. I, my sense is we're going to get them, because I have had that question before, Richard, and it's a brilliant question. And I can tell you that I put everything I know about this experience um, I put it. I, I'd say everything I know would lead me to see absolutely, because really what this is is accessing the space that the uh, person, the departed person, or the NDE, the person having the brush with death. It's just that ability for a loved one to connect with them where they are. Uh, so I know it's possible. I've had cases on it. Not a, not a lot in my clinical practice. I had two that I can remember offhand right now and maybe a third uh, that I can't really recall, but I'm sure they're out there. I don't know if this is, uh, this is, you know, we're maybe getting into the realm of total speculation, but, uh, or if this is something you've looked at, but I'm curious as to what extent the shared death experience has become sort of uh, misidentified or, or sort of confused with what we might refer to as a haunting or uh, you know, the, uh, a sighting of a ghost and so forth. Did they get jumbled together, do you think? You know, I don't hear that very much. And one of the reasons I don't hear that, um, and it's not in the research, um, is because these experiences are typically pretty clear. The descriptions that that I've heard and my team has heard are that, you know, that experience was more real than real. It, everything was hyper alive. It was more real than my human existence. Uh, I know there's an afterlife. It's not just a belief. I've been there. Uh, that's the ultimate reality. The human experience is the dream. So there's not that haziness that I think you were alluding to around, you know, ghosts and things like that. I think ghosts. That's a different phenomenon altogether, uh, which, you know, I think you're, you're pretty up on this. Uh, there are certainly a good deal of research, quality research, going back to the Society for Psychical Research out of uh, Great Britain beginning in the late 1880s that cited all sorts of apparitions, uh, most of them, you know, not most of them, but the highest frequency around death, and ghosts are certainly included in that. Do 
do any in any of these 250 plus case studies does anyone report having a, a lengthy telepathic conversation with the dying in, individual uh, where they were able to ask them questions like where are you what does it look like who who else did you see um yes to the first part of that question lengthy sdes yeah there we have experiences where the dying um, seemingly take the experiencer on a journey of the cosmos in a certain way. And in some of those cases, it's as if the dying or the departing are trying to impart some sort of knowledge to the experiencer that typically has something to do with the metaphysics of things like, you know, the existence you're in is a school, or just do the best you can till you get here, or it's all about love. Uh, you do see a good deal of, you know, teachings on the kind of the perennial wisdom, if you will, love your neighbor as yourself, be kind. Um, the material materialism doesn't matter. There's there's a fair amount of um, implicit teaching. But in terms of, you had a second part to your question there, Richard, that it's, I'm not quite remembering. Oh, well. I'm just, the, the nature of the conversation or the nature of the question. So, for example, uh, if, if, the, uh, you know, if you were sitting beside a dying patient in a hospice and you had this SDE, and you, would you ask, you know, be able to ask them, what does it look like where you are? What is it? You know, uh, who else did you see on the other side? These sorts of questions, detailed questions. Yeah. So that would, in those cases, that would presume that you had an early SDE with the person. And we don't have most early SDEs um, happen with patients, the dying, um, not exclusively, but most of them, when they're unresponsive. In other words, there's no capacity for communication left. Um, now, in terms of conversations between the, tra the, you know, the transitioning, the dying in the SDE and the experiencer, there is some communication, but m most of it is not to the level that you just asked, like, where are you? And there's, I think there's a reason for that, and the reason that I would uh, posit is that when you're in that state, that dimension, what we hear all the time is, in that space, I had answers to all my questions. Anything I asked, I uh, would have an answer for. In fact, I didn't even have to ask questions. I already knew everything. I knew the meaning of the universe. I knew the purpose of a human life. I knew, you know, all sorts of things about the nature of reality. That... When I return to my human existence, I kind of have some knowing about this, but the specifics are no longer there. In other words, we would call this state-specific information or knowledge or wisdom. William Peters stays with us, founder of the Shared Crossing Project. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com. 
Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.